Welcome to Saltier Politics. Julie, how are you doing? <laughs> so, you know, we talked last week about this 5K that I'm reluctantly training to run for. And as I think I pointed out, my friend Leah, who's a big runner, who you know as well, came over for dinner um, last week or two weeks ago. And I told her I was training for this 5K. And she looks at me, she goes, nobody trains for a 5K. You just get up and do a 5K anyway, which is just to underscore how lame my running skills are. And now I'm kind of screwed because this race is in about, I want to say, a month. I think it's a month from today, actually. I think it's September 15th or somewhere around there. And um, I had this issue last week where um, I had this um, disc in my neck that, that apparently collapsed. <laughs> so I have been really out of pocket in terms of training for this thing. And I don't know when it's going to get better, but um, it's kind of preventing me from training for this 5K. So I'm, I'm hoping, in fact, I'm not hoping, I am insistent upon still running this 5K, but it's getting a little tougher to train for it because I haven't been able to run for a week or really even walk for a week or even sit up or sleep for a week. So I don't know. We'll see. That is absolutely horrific. But I know, as I said on Twitter, what I will be doing is I think having just a, a little speaker playing some Britney loud, playing some Spice Girls loud. Nice. And it'll encourage you. Yeah. We'll but. see. I will, I will crawl or I will hobble, but I will do this 5K just to prove it to myself because, as I said um, to another one of my friends who has known me since I was in eighth grade, and she goes, why are you running? There is nothing in the world that you hate more than running. Like, like nothing. Like, you hate Nazis less than you hate running. And I said, I know, I know, but I feel like I have to conquer this, this hatred of this sport. Um, so I'm going to do it. I think it's inspiring, too, because people just are usually give up and are just like, you know what? I hate it. I'm not going to do it. You're, you're tackling it straight on. I got to do it. Well, yeah. The funny thing is, um, this will be it. <laughs> There's no way. Did it, I'm going to do it, and then I will, I will never run again. And you can check it off, and then for your son, too, when he's like, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't like it. You'd be like, well, mommy hates running, and she just completed a 5K. Yeah, and my, son, and my son will be like, I run a 5K before breakfast every morning when I run around the house like a madman, so that's not a big deal. But um, like Jerry Seinfeld, I will choose not to run again after I'm done with this. <laughs> there we go. Go ahead. Well, okay. So I wanted to, on a, on a light note, bring up something that I thought was an interesting concept. It's called dog fishing. What's that? And it's when a person borrows someone else's dog for profile pics on, on <laughs> dating. Like, you know, you go on Tinder and then your friend has a, a cute little dog and then it, you take a picture with it and it will show you to be maybe more caring or compassionate. And people feel duped that when then they go out on a date with this person and they don't have a dog. And I would feel totally duped. And I'll tell you why. My guy friends, um, most of whom are now married, but back in their single days when they were in their 20s and 30s, would literally tell me that there's no better chick magnet than getting a golden retriever or a lab or something because women then see that you're committed to a dog, which means that you might be committed to... to a family, you know, you've got responsibilities. You're not out drinking till 4 a.m. and not home enough to walk your dog. So I think it does give you some sort of um, adult cred that you're able to care for another living organism um, and not just a plant, but a dog. Um, and then all of a sudden it turns out that you don't really have a dog, that you're just borrowing a dog. I think that's kind of a scam. Meanwhile, did you ever meet Grimace? Did you ever meet my dog Grimace? Was, I, no, I haven't. I mean, everybody who watched Fox knew about Grimace um, because Grimace was like legendary. So Grimace was this three-legged chihuahua that I, he was four-legged when I got him, but then he rapidly broke his one of his legs and 
Um, so he was only able to walk on three legs. And Grimace was like my favorite child. I mean, Grimace, there will, there will never be another entity in my life like Grimace Roginski. He was amazing. Um, but I got to tell you, like, Grimace was such a massive part of my life. And I remember um, dating when I had Grimace. And, like, if you didn't love my dog, you weren't really going to be in the picture long. Like, it wasn't an issue. Like, love me, love my dog. And, um, and I had boyfriends who were tolerant of Grimace, and they didn't last long. They weren't rude to him. They just weren't in love with Grimace the way that I was. And I had certain um, guys that I dated who really loved Grimace, um, and I liked them a lot more because of it. But so suddenly, imagine if that was all a lie and Grimace wasn't really in my life, and I was just using Grimace to curry favor with the opposite sex, which I find kind of interesting because I don't think anybody would want to date me for my three-legged chihuahua. But... Um, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that dogs are such a presence in people's lives that if you're not, um, you make assumptions about people who are dog people who actually care for dogs, and if you're not that person in real life, then I think it's kind of a predicate to you. What else are you lying about? What else are you full of it about? Exactly, and the, and the expert in this article said that uh, people with these put dogs on their profiles who don't own them, they appear more nurturing to potential dates. Of course. And I, I don't know if you agree with this. I think there's two types of people in the world. There are dog people and there are non-dog people. Okay. I'm a non-cat person. I'm a non-cat person too. So I'm not big. I'm also allergic to cats, but I, I think it might be psychosomatic because um, I don't like them. But also I think because my mom made me go see cats on Broadway when I was eight or nine and I really hate Hated it. Oh my god, I was so bored. I was. I was too happy, and, and I, think, I loved Phantom. Like I liked Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I did not like Cats. I loved Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I had that record when I was like nine, and I listened to it all summer and sang at the top of my lungs all day long. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So I don't like cats, but dogs are a different story. And either you're a dog person or you're not a dog person. And I don't know that I could be with somebody who's not a dog person. It's it's true. Dogs dogs offer a companionship and just a friendliness and pure love that like is unmatched there's nobody's gonna love you the way your dog loves you there's no way right like your kid's never gonna love you the way your dog loves you the dog's always happy to see you yeah and i don't even know if your parents love you the way your dog loves you <laughs> because you know you have strife with your family and your parents and you know you fight with your kids and um i i, I yell at my son I, I, I would say i yell at him every so often but let's be honest i yell at him every day because um, he's a little out of controls you know these days but um but with dogs, like, there's, it's just pure love. Like, dogs are the best. And I have not brought myself to get another dog since Grimace died because I, I just, I'm so heartbroken still. It's been a few years that I, I don't know that I can, like, I'll never love again. I don't know that I can. I'm like a one-dog woman, but, I mean. Well, you certainly won't be loving someone with a fake dog in their profile picture. Oh, please. You know what? That's such a downer. Guys, if you're listening to this. Don't dogfish. Don't dogfish. I never even heard of this expression, but don't be that guy. Right. Um, well, some, I also wanted to bring up, last week we talked about Spice Girls, and I saw a recent Spice Girls quote. Uh, so the Mooch, he recently had an interview with Eric Bowling, and he said, quote, and this is about his whole Trump feud, and he said, Trump can say whatever he wants, I could care less. He's a li he's liar Spice from the Spice Girls, trust me. There's never been a bigger liar than him. Trump's up there, but he's a big-time liar. All right, so let me preface this by saying I know the Mooch. I love the Mooch. I've always had a great relationship with Anthony. Um, I, I haven't spoken to him in a, in a while, but when we were both at Fox, I considered him a friend um, and still do. Um, I ran into him on the street um, a while ago. I haven't seen him in a long time, but we had a great chat. Um, 
and I think we've in the last year, I think we might have exchanged a couple of emails. I can't remember. It's in the, certainly in the last couple of years. Um, so I say this with um, all affection for Anthony Scaramucci because I, I really do like him a lot um, on an individual level. And I never understood knowing him what he was doing with Trump in the first place. Um, Trump, I mean, he started out, I think he started out with Rubio or Jeb. I mean, he's a Republican, but he was never a Trump Republican. And then I think he saw which way the wind was blowing and, and, and got on board the way a lot of other Republicans did. But um, they never seemed a normal fit to me, a natural fit to me. And I know there's this, this kind of joke about Scaramucci because of his little 11-day tenure, um, but he's an actually pretty serious guy um, when, you, when you strip away all the myth um, that's been created about him um, by the media. He's a serious guy, um, he's a smart guy, and he has known all along that Donald Trump's a liar. I'm, I'm not speaking for him, it's not that he and I have ever had this discussion, but I mean, it, it would surprise me that suddenly Anthony Scaramucci woke up last week and was like, oh, heavens to Betsy, Donald Trump's a liar. <laughs> um, he's known that since day one. I mean, it's another thing to say that he threw his lot in with a guy that he knew was a liar, um, and that's fine, and that's a business decision or it's a political decision, but uh, I find it hard to believe that, that suddenly Anthony Scaramucci woke up and was like, how can this possibly be? Donald Trump is not the man I thought he was. He knew exactly who Donald Trump was from day one, um, which is why he was not on board with him until the very, very end when basically all of his first 16 choices dropped out. Um, so uh, look, uh, welcome to the resistance, Anthony. Um, and uh, I do think there is... I, I do think Trump is actually prime and ripe for a primary. He's not going to lose one. He's got more support among Republican voters than, than anybody else. But he is also the kind of guy, I believe, um, who could probably lose 10 to 15% of the primary vote from Republicans who I know who just want to send a message that this is not their party. I mean, I have tons of Republican friends. Um, and they're, we don't agree on a lot, but they are offended by his incivility. They are offended by his rhetoric. Um, they are offended by his positions, whether it's on free trade, which is something the Republican Party has consistently stood for. Um, they are offended on a whole host of, of policy issues that they, that they see the party going in um, in a different direction than the party's been built on foreign policy, certainly. Um, you know, the, the kowtowing to Putin. Um, you know, uh, there is still a significant portion, I don't know if it's significant, but there's probably a quarter, if not a little less, of the, of the Republican base, the Bush people, um, not Bush themselves, not the Bushes themselves, but, or, but people who supported the Bushes and um, the sort of establishment Republicans who are, who are offended by him, who I think would just cast a vote just to prove a point. And uh, and so I do. I don't think that Weld, Governor Weld of Massachusetts, is the is the right guy. I think he's running a little to the left of where these people are. You think Kasich? Kasich could. Um, it could be Kasich. It could be a Tea Party person. I mean, there's an you know there there there, there was an article um, in the New York Times, a column in the New York Times by a former Tea Party um, Republican congressman who said this, this is completely a devaluation of what the Tea Party stood for. I mean, we ran against a deficit. We ran um, 
for fiscal responsibility and look what, what Trump has done since getting elected. I mean, he's blown through the deficit. Everything the Tea Party stood for, he's essentially blown up. Um, and those people, I think, are looking for an alternative. He's not going to lose a primary, right. much like George Bush didn't lose a primary in 1992. But remember from our Steve Kornacki discussion many, many months ago from, from the book that he wrote, and I remember this in real time, when Pat Buchanan ran against George Bush, Nobody thought George Bush was going to lose the primary, but right. it did send a message to the Republican Party that, that something was amiss. Right. Um, and I think it the planted same message, seeds. It of did. Doubt. It did. Um, now Buchanan ran from the right, and Buchanan was a, a bit of a precursor to what we're seeing now with Trump. You can't run against Trump from the right, but you can run against Trump ideologically. You can run against Trump from his policies because his policies really are, are so not in step with what traditional Republican policies have been, whether domestic or foreign policy. I mean, I see when yeah. we did the stock market yesterday. Uh, forget the market. I mean, the market is, you know, people always look at the stock market, but it's really the bond market, market that's more instructive. The stock market's a, a snapshot in time, for lack of a better description. The bond market is a prognosis, a much more interesting prognosis of the future. And when you have an inverted 10-year yield curve, as you did yesterday, um, look, I mean, I don't know if we're on the cusp of a recession. I, ho I hope we're not. But... I will say to you that the only thing that's propping up Trump right now, I believe, and, and bodes well for his reelection is the fact that the economy is in a good place. If that changes in the next year, what other reason are right. people gonna, and, and you look at these soy, look, look at these farmers in the Midwest, right? Soybean farmers, for example, who voted for Trump. Um, they're getting screwed by these tariffs with China um, these tariffs with China are killing the very base that supported right. Donald Trump. Um, so there are people who right now are saying, okay, I've got more money, more my 401k or my, my wages are up, you know, I, I can get a job. Things are good. And they are, um, for a lot of people, they're better certainly than they were 10 years ago. Um, but if that changes, if people don't feel secure economically in the next year or so, it's absurd, and unfortunately, what we're seeing is a trade policy and other policies that are not, that are giving whiplash to the economy. I mean, you know, first we're putting tariffs on, then we're postponing tariffs for another couple of months, then we're back on, then we're back off. There's no consistency, there's no assurance. Um, people can't make long-term plans. I mean, if you're a farmer, you have to plan for how much you're going to farm, right? right? You can't. Donald Trump can't wake up tomorrow and say, nope, okay, we're putting tariffs on. No, we're not putting tariffs on. No, I mean, these people need a long-term range of what to do. Right. And um, if they don't get it, that leads to the kind of economic uncertainty and whiplash that is completely self-created by him. Uh, and that's not good. And I think if you keep seeing signs of a recession flashing, you might see more Republicans saying, you know what? Maybe we will speak up, and then maybe we'll have a primary. Who knows? I mean, it's not easy to put a primary together in a few months, obviously, and if you're going to run, you better run now. Right. But it's getting close. I mean, Iowa, New Hampshire, they're in less than six months from now, but uh, if by September or October somebody strongly comes out and says, I'm going to do this and puts an infrastructure together, we'll see. They're not going to beat them but it'll send a message. Speaking of Iowa, did you see the comments from Steve King? Steve King, uh, he was at an event at the Westside Conservative Club in Iowa, 
and he questioned whether there would be, quote, any population of the world left if rape and incest had not occurred throughout history. He said, quote, what if we went back through all the family trees and just pulled out anyone who was a product of rape or incest? Would there be any population of the world left if we did that? Um, considering all the wars and all the rapes and pillages that happened throughout all these different nations, I know that I can't say that I was not part of a product of that. I don't even know where to... I, this is, is this some sort of abortion thing? Like, you can't get rid of... You shouldn't abort kids who are victims of rape or incest? Who are a product of rape or incest because... Um, to populate? Because, because otherwise, like... Here's my issue. There's so many There's issues. so many. First of all, let me say this, which I think is somewhat controversial. If you believe that life begins at conception, which people who are pro-life obviously do, then I don't understand how you make exceptions for rape or incest because if you believe that this is a child at the moment of conception, why are you punishing this child for the circumstances of its conception, right? So if you're pro-life, be pro-life and make no exceptions for rape or incest. I am not pro-life, but if you are pro-life, be consistent. Why would you, quote-unquote, murder a child because that child was created out of rape or incest if you won't, quote-unquote, murder a child for other reasons? Um, I don't believe that it's murder, but people who do, I think, should be consistent. So I, I, I am sympathetic to people who don't believe in a rape or incest exception if they are pro-life for the reasons that they believe life begins at conception. Again, let me be clear, I am not one of those people. Um, however, I also think that when you have somebody who is a sitting member of Congress saying crazy stuff like this, it might give people license to say, oh, it's like Jeffrey Epstein saying you know, to Charlie Gasparino, um, one of the last interviews he apparently did, which Gasparino just, just wrote about um, on Fox Business, where he said, you know, I don't see the big deal. You know, we're, we're kind of, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but we're kind of prudish about the fact that sex with 15-year-olds is, is a, a big deal. And, you know, like, why? It's, it's normal. Like, it's no, there's no reason why a 66-year-old man can't have sex with a 14 or 15-year-old. When you say stuff like this, when you say stuff like, well, people are born out of rape or incest, you know, they have been, I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure all of our family trees. Yeah, look at the Crusades. There was there was a lot of rape. Look, like, look at it's like, are you? Ki- I'm sure like, somebody fall in a well. I just can't. Listen, I'm sure some Mongol hordes, you know, probably raped one of my ancestors, or some pogrom happened, and some Cossack raped some great grandmother of mine in the shtetl. I, I, you know, I I don't know. Maybe I've never done a DNA test, but maybe it doesn't mean that you talk about it as a flippant thing. Like, well, you know, it used to happen all the time, so what's the big deal? How about, like, we also don't decapitate people now. Right. That used to happen all the time. We used to stone people. There are things that used to happen that you don't normalize. You can talk about it historically in saying this used to be the case. Thank God we live in the 21st century in the Western world where this kind of thing should never happen. But that's not how he said it. He's kind of normalizing it. It's kind of like Jeffrey Epstein. Well, you know, back in the day, well, yeah, back in the day, people got married at 12 when they got their periods because their lifespan was about 30. Um, But it doesn't mean that um, you talk about it like it's a normal thing. Like, well, it happened. Oh, yeah, why not? It happened in the past. Let's keep talking about it. Let's keep doing it. Right. Um, People of Iowa, just get rid of him. Just get rid of Steve King. I mean, how is this guy still in office? Like, he's even been disowned by his own party in Congress, and yet he's still out there saying crazy crap. I, it's, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, in line with that, that kind of goes into what I'm salty about this week, that the Department of Labor uh, just proposed a rule that aims to let government contractors fire workers who are LGBTQ or who are pregnant and unmarried based on their employer's religious views. Um, the ACLU tweeted out the breaking news yesterday. And um, so their rule, pretty much the Department of Labor's rule, pretty much allows religious religion exercising organizations with federal contracts to raise religious exemptions if, if accused of bias in their hiring practices, which is horrific, but it also kind of goes to King's comment. Like, so if a woman is raped and has to be pregnant and now her job can fire her. Well, you know? it's, it's interesting. Um, it applies to LGBT, which you can talk to talk about. It applies to women who had children out of wedlock, which is me. Um, okay. Like, I mean, so I don't, I don't understand. So I obviously did not get pregnant by accident. Um, I tried to get pregnant very hard, um, but and went through a lot of medical procedures to do it. But um, what I find fascinating is, let's say that I had gotten pregnant by accident, right? You don't want me to have an abortion. You're a good religious organization. But now this organization. But now you're going to fire me. Right. So now, and then you're going to yell at me for going on welfare because I can't get a job. Right. And like, oh, of course, look at these mothers going on welfare. And what a mother is going on welfare. Well, I want to work, but you're not letting me work because you have a religious objection to my not getting an abortion and carrying this baby to term. And if I got an abortion, I would have kept my job because you'd never know that I was pregnant, but you don't want me to get an abortion because you have a religious objection to that too. So this whole religious objection thing is so offensive to me because you are like, why is your religion impacting my life? And, and doesn't that just completely go against the basic tenets of separation of church and state? Yes. Because these are federal jobs. Yes. I look, I believe in religious freedom, but your religious freedom cannot impugn on my ability to live. I mean, you, it's crazy. I mean, look, if you're a Christian scientist, you don't believe in medicine, right? Does that mean that if I work for you, I can't take medicine? Like, at which point is your religious... And you have the freedom to do whatever you want. I mean, I really don't care. Right. Um, but to, does that... I'm using... I mean, Christian scientists is probably a poor example. But I mean, there's, there's a million different things. Um, if you're Catholic... Uh, there are certain things you can't do. If you're Muslim, there are certain things you can't do. You know, all the same people, by the way, who are complaining about Sharia law. Oh my God, we have to bring a Sharia law to this country. Great, okay. Does that mean that if you work for a Muslim organization and you're a Christian and they don't like something, they have a religious objection based on their Muslim faith, they're gonna fire you? Could you imagine if that example happened? The same people who are praising this would be up in arms, Sharia law, Sharia law. Well, religious exemptions apply both ways. Right. So could why don't we imagine? just leave? Yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> so just leave all religion out of it. Agreed. I mean, no, and it's it's just another kind of hit again to the LGBTQ community because uh, the Trump administration also, um, or the Justice Department, argued in court in 2017 that sexual discrimination protections in the workplace do not extend to sexual orientation, and wrote in a brief to the Supreme Court uh, that protections also do not extend to transgender people. So, I mean, they're going after everybody who who aren't straight white men you know what's really upsetting to me too um with lgbt so i guess i'm gonna argue against my own situation right um 
I didn't have to have a child out of wedlock. I chose to have a child out of wedlock. Um, so that's my decision. And I, and I obviously understood the consequences of that. People who are LGBTQ are born that way. Right. Like, you, can't you don't have a choice. Um, it's, it's, you don't choose the way you're born. Right. You're now discriminating against somebody with essentially a pre-existing condition. I mean, it's not a pre-existing right. medical condition, but you're, you're against, you can no more choose your sexual orientation than you can choose your race. Exactly. Right? Um, you could choose your religion, by the way. Right. You can convert tomorrow, but I'm not going to wake up African-American tomorrow, no matter how much I might want to or not want to. Or an African-American woman is not going to wake up being a white man tomorrow. Right. A lesbian woman is not going to wake up straight tomorrow, no matter how much she may want to. Right. Um, a gay man is not going to wake up gay um, um, straight tomorrow. And um, so you're essentially discriminating against people for something that has, is completely out of their control. And the cruelty of that is just so breathtaking to me. I mean, I look at kids, um, you know, in my son's class, um, they've all been together. It's a boys' school. They've all been together since kindergarten. Um, they're now about to all go into the second grade. I can pretty much tell you right now who the... I mean, I'm not, I'm not great at this stuff, but I can pretty much figure out who the, gay kids are, who the gay kids are already. And by the way, these are not kids who are thinking about sex in the least. Right. You just kind of know. Right. You know? And, um, like, <laughs> they're not doing... These are not boys who are sitting here thinking... They don't even understand the concept of sex. Right. I mean, I explained the birds and the bees to my son because he asked me. Did I tell you the story? No. Oh, my God. He asked me how babies are made, and so I explained to him the conventional way babies are made. And there was this, thank God we were driving, <laughs> so I could look at him. And he's sitting in, the, in his car seat in the back, and I'm, I'm, this is last summer, so he must have been six. And we're driving um, through the Berkshires, and I'm looking straight ahead, and kind of peeking in the rearview mirror, and I tell him, um, very sanitary, kind of, you know, very clinically, how, how it's physically done. And he just, there's this long pause, and, and you know my son, he doesn't really, he's never really lost for words. Very long pause. And then after about a 60-second pause, he goes, I really wish you hadn't told me that. <sighs> I'm going to have nightmares about that for the rest of my life. <laughs> so my point is these are not kids right who are think, corrupt people yeah who are who, who are like oh wait a second i live in new york city in the most liberal part of new york city let me think of ways to be creative and be gay right. like it's like, like they're they're not thinking about this stuff at all no. in the real it doesn't matter i mean the right. point is like that's not you're not it's all baked in right exactly. it's all baked in from birth and um and so to discriminate who someone is at their very core and their very being, and again, something you can't change. It's, yeah. It's, it's really not what America is or is striving to be, uh, should look, be striving I to I mean, it's not so long ago that people, you know, no Irish need apply. Um, certainly, the Jim Crow laws, African Americans couldn't get hired. You know, there was a limit as to how many Jews could be accepted into I guess, Harvard. Is that the grade again that Trump is going for? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, that's so. maybe. I mean, look, there was a time when, when Harvard and Princeton, all the big Ivies, wouldn't take you know more than a quota of Jews, and um, so this is just a continuation of that. But now you're discriminated against. It's just a whole brand new. Well, it's not brand new. People in the LGBT community have been discriminated against for I don't know millennia. 
But, um, but to have this happen in this country in the 21st century, it's just appalling. And you think about how excited we all were, at least, you know, maybe not all of us, but you and I were and others who we know were, um, when marriage equality became the law of the land and how that wasn't so long ago. No. And, uh, you know, it's sad. It's like one step forward, two steps back because, uh, The only time I ever cried on election night, and I wasn't even, I didn't cry when Trump won. I was... One shock. (laughs) Well, I I was on Shep Smith's show all night long, and I had to keep it together, and I just remember, like, being shell-shocked is not the word, so I, I, I wasn't crying. I was just, you know, I had to be on air, so I was keeping it together. The one night that I did actually cry was um, in 2008 when Barack Obama got elected. And it wasn't so much because I love Barack Obama so much. I never kind of bought into the cult back then that everybody else bought into in 2008. It was because I couldn't believe that we were finally arrived at a moment in this country where a guy named Barack Hussein Obama, who was African-American, could get elected. Like, I just could not believe that a black guy could get elected in this country. And I was so thrilled that this country had come so far. and I was so thrilled when marriage equality became the law of the land because I remembered in 2004 how the Bush campaign ran their entire Ohio strategy and effectively won Ohio against, as they called it, gay marriage. Right. And how within a decade of that, um, marriage equality was the law of the land. And I just couldn't believe how fast that trajectory had moved and it happened not long after Obama got elected and so the fact that you had an African-American president and the fact that, you know, it was suddenly was not a big deal for two gay people or two lesbians to get married, um, I just thought, my God, we've come so far. It's like we've turned a corner. The fever is broken. Things are great. And then to see in the next, you know, in the last two, three years, all this regressive stuff happen, you think, God, was that like a dream? Like, what's going on where you have people openly discriminating against minorities from the highest pulpit in the land? Um, against LGBT people, against black people, against Muslims. Um, it's, you know, deporting children, um, deporting family. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's so depressing. It's just, it's just awful. So Julie, what are you salty about? Well, (laughs) now I'll tell you what I'm salty about. Um, um, except for all of the above. (laughs) Well, I am actually salty about something to do with this, which is my friend Ken Cuccinelli, if you remember, um, ran for governor of Virginia, got his butt handed to him in a very massive way. Um, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, originally from Edison, New Jersey, um, but, uh, is now in Trump's cabinet. Um, what I find interesting is Edison, New Jersey, if you know anything about Edison, is like the melting pot of the world. Um, huge South Asian community huge Italian immigrant community from a couple of generations ago. I mean, just really, truly a melting pot community, which is where he grew up. And how he grew up this way makes no sense to me. But he said, he made two observations. The first was essentially he wanted to rewrite Emma Lazarus's famous poem, you know, the oh. give me your tired, your poor, your hungry masses, yearning to breathe free, um, uh, on the Statue of Liberty to basically say, yeah, only people who can afford um, to come here should come here. Um, and uh, those people are people presumably who have uh, money and will not be on public assistance. Uh, and then he doubled down even more and basically said, well, Emma Lazarus's poem was really talking about European immigrants. So Emma Lazarus herself was a Russian immigrant. Um, 
I think when Ken Cuccinelli, who's of Italian and Irish extraction, um, was talking about the European migration that was taking place back then, a um, hundred years ago or so, when, when this poem was written, um, they were super poor. The Mexicans, the, the Irish, and they Italians? were the, the, like, the, the Russian immigrants. Like, like they were the Guatemalans, right. Of a hundred years ago. I mean, these are people, including Ken Cuccinelli's ancestors, who were loathed. They were going through famine and like I mean, Ireland. they yeah. weren't coming over with they anything. Weren't, they weren't sailing in first class on the Titanic. I mean, they were coming no. on, the, on the you know Queen Mary. They were coming here because the British and Ireland were starving them out, right. effectively murdering an entire population of a country. Um, they had no choice, and they came here and look at what the Irish have contributed to this country, including Ken Cuccinelli's ancestors, I assume. The Italians, the Cuccinelli side of the Cuccinelli family, I have no idea where they're from, but I mean, that migration, there was a civil war, obviously, with Garibaldi in Italy. Everybody was killing everybody else. People were coming here for a better opportunity. There was no money in Italy. Italy was consistently engulfed in, in military conflicts. Um, and people came here for their lives. The ones that came from Eastern Europe, from the shtetl, were coming because they were being raped and pillaged by the Cossacks. I mean, not, not my family, necessarily, because um, we came here much later, but, uh, but the people that came here at the Emma Lazarus time were coming here because they were literally fleeing for their lives. I mean, living in czarist Russia as Jews, I mean, you only have to watch Fiddler on the Roof to see, to see what it was like. I mean, it was not a good time, right? Um, the Jews were treated effectively the way that they weren't slaves, but treated effectively the way that African-Americans were treated after Reconstruction in the South. I mean, awful. And um, so that's part one of what I'm salty about. Part two, what I'm salty about is very personal. So where he basically was like, well, you have to have the means to come here. And, if, and basically, effectively, they put a rule in that if you are here legally, not illegally, if you are here legally, if you're a legal immigrant and you have a green card, your path to citizenship is much more complicated. I think it takes about, it took us five years. I think it's a five-year process from green card to citizenship. Um, you will delay getting your citizenship or it will be harder to, to earn your citizenship if you are in public assistance like Medicaid or um, uh, food stamps, SNAP. It's not called SNAP. It used to be food stamps or, or basically any public assistance. So I'll just say this. It doesn't apply to refugees, which is what my family was, but... Um, our refugee status is a material to this discussion. When we came here in 1980, we had $90 between the three of us. Um, and that's it. We had organizations that helped us in the sense that I think they got us a hotel for a week or two, um, outside aid organizations. But then we're pretty much on our own. And um, so we were on food stamps. We, we were on public assistance for a while. Um, not a long time, but there was really no other way for us to eat. And I don't understand what the problem with that is. My parents learned English. Um, they got jobs. Um, they have more than repaid the federal treasury um, in taxes uh, in the 40-something, almost 40 years that we've been here um, for, for the money that they laid out on, on food stamps, which I assume was not that much for the few months we were on them. Um, I live in New York City, and I pay my federal taxes primarily to support people in the red states, because um, God knows that um, most of the money that goes to Washington in federal taxes does not come back to New York. It comes back to um, comes back to red states. In fact, of the top ten 
states getting the most money back from Washington. Only one, New Mexico, is a blue state. The rest are all red states. Like, I'm looking at you, Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, um, Mississippi, Alabama. Um, so, you know, this is, again, it's what we're talking about with your salty segment. It's not who we are. It is not who we are. People don't come here. This, I think there's some concept that people immigrate here and they immediately get on welfare and, and that's it. Like they, they don't ever work again. In fact, immigrants have a much lower rate of crime, a much higher rate of work. Right. Um, and it's like you're not leaving everything you know and every, everything that's easy to, to, to just chill on welfare. You're coming here for, to fight for a better life. So you're not going to sit on welfare and have food stamps. You're going to fight to have that better life and to work hard. And that's why you're coming to America and making all those massive sacrifices from leaving everything you know. I got to tell you, I know so many immigrants who are here legally. I know people who are not here legally, who are not here legally. And I just spoke to a guy um, who overstayed his visa. He was here. He came here when he was 10. Um, He's now an Italian citizen, but was was originally from Africa. Um, Came here when he was 10 um, with his mother. The mother went back to um, Italy. um, And uh, he lived with an uncle from the age of 10 on, essentially raised himself, um, is not here legally, um, overstayed his visa, as I said, and is cleaning houses, is Working, when I say working 24-7, I mean working 24-7 as a house cleaner. This kid, he's 21 now. I should not a kid, he's an adult now. This guy is really smart. He really wants to go to college. He graduated high school. He really wants to go to college. He can't because he's not a, he's, he doesn't have the paperwork. He, doesn't, he can't afford it, obviously, and he can't. And he's desperate to become a citizen. This guy's been here since he was 10. He is as American as the rest of us. Right. Um, and... He just wants a pathway to citizenship, but he's now afraid to apply because he's afraid that if he raises his head, they'll say, you're not here legally and they'll deport him um, to a country where he hasn't lived for most of his life, does not speak Italian, does not speak the language, doesn't, I mean, it just, right. you know, as we, as we see stories all the time. I just spoke to him earlier this week and I was trying to help him. Um, I don't know if I can help him, but uh, I say this because, uh, like, this concept that people have of the self-reliant immigrant who came here. And I have this, you know, I, I tweeted this out, this Cuccinelli thing, people start tweeting back and they say, well, you know, my ancestors came here from, I don't know, Italy. Nobody gave them welfare, you know, they made do, they made whatever. How do you know? I mean, we didn't have these social programs in place back then. Right. But you also have people dying in the streets of poverty. Right. Um, you also, is this what we want to go back to? Like, do we want to go back to people literally starving? Like, had we not had, like, I'm thinking about this logically. We came here, and again, we were refugees, so this would not apply to us, but if we had not had the refugee status, and we came here the same way, with no money, um, where would we have eaten? I mean, I guess we could have gone to soup kitchens, right? But we could have. Um, but you're essentially relying on soup kitchens to be able to feed it's just but I mean, and it's like there's no way also you know if if your parents are working and the soup kitchen is only open during certain times that impacts their job prospects too because if the soup kitchen but their shift doesn't get off till when the soup kitchen is closing like what do you do yeah it's, i mean it's it's listen let me tell you i'll tell you firsthand it is not easy 
to be, I can't even speak to what it's like to be here illegally um, or uh, an undocumented immigrant because that's, uh, I, don't, I don't have any personal experience with it, but I do have a lot of experience with being a legal immigrant. And it is brutal. It is brutal. My parents did not leave the only country they ever knew, the only language they ever knew, the only family they ever had to move across the world to a foreign country because they thought they were going to, you know, move to a place where the streets are paved with gold. I mean, they came here because they didn't want their daughter raised in an anti-Semitic, awful regime that was going to, you know, potentially hurt yet another generation of, of their family. Um, and uh, to think that people just come here because they want to get on welfare, they want to get free stuff out of this country, it's absurd. And the part that infuriates me is Melania Trump. I mean, great example, Donald Trump. Like, she came here on a questionably legal work visa. I'm not so sure that it was. How did her parents, I mean, her parents came here, I guess, after she married Donald Trump, right? So she had the means to take care of them. Chain migration. They became American citizens only recently because their daughter married an American citizen. That is pure chain migration. The same thing the Trump administration keeps rallying about against. Um, same thing with Ivana Trump. Ivana Trump became a citizen because she married Donald Trump. I mean, this is a purely... It's, it's do what's good for you and damn everybody else. And it's disgusting. And I am incredibly, the person I'm most ashamed about not speaking up about this is Jared Kushner because Jared Kushner's parents, grandparents, excuse me, who are, if you're from, from New Jersey, you, you know the family well, um, were kind of revered people, um, Joseph and Ray Kushner. And they were um, Holocaust survivors and came here, um, essentially as refugees also after the Holocaust, and build up this business, and, and you know, a, a fairly great business, um, until their descendants decided to squander it. Um, but, uh, but, so what's interesting to me is, how does somebody like Jared Kushner, who understands the, the peril that people are in, who, from everything I know, reveres his grandparents and the memory of, the, apparently these grandparents were like held up as, as idols in the family, as they should be. How do you not speak up? How do you not speak up and say, this is just not right. And I know from personal family experience that this is not right. Um, Ken Cuccinelli, when he's like, these are mostly European. Oh, shut up, Ken Cuccinelli. I'm European. And let me tell you something. <laughs> people 100 years ago thought about Russian Jews or Italians or Irish people the way they think about Guatemalans and about people from Honduras and Mexico today. Um, so it's just awful. I, I you know, this. It goes back to what we were saying before. I cannot believe this is where we are in this country right now. Well, um, to, to close out, you'll be leaving the country for... I am leaving the country. So I um, am uh, going to France, I think. I mean, I am going to France, but I am trying desperately to figure out what's going on with my, my next situation. Um, I am going to France. I'm going to Normandy. Um, I am going to hopefully eat good French food and drink good French wine and uh, visit a lot of no-go zones. Right. <laughs> well, when you come back, we'll drink wine and talk about it all. We will. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.